just kept kept working, kept trying to generate clients, didn't really spend a lot of time networking with people, um, which is something I wish I kind of had done. And then COVID obviously hit, so we were all locked down. And that was when I really opened up my, my networking. Um, but yeah, we really started as a kind of design, website design. We did a few different things in between getting to where we are now, like social media posts, stuff like that, creating content. But I found that that kind of content creation didn't really have tangible ROI. It's now just adding more value to the client as opposed to I'm doing the work and I need someone else to do it because now I'm in a good position where I don't have to do a lot of the boots on the ground work, but more coordinate it. Be personal, be thorough and do your research on the person and actually care about what they want. So, or actually care about them themselves. So in that email, when if you read it and you can link this in your, your newsletter as well, if you're working with a TikTok or a YouTuber and you're servicing them with video editing or something like that, look at what brings them the most views, right? Look at that end result. That's that's the most important part to everyone is looking at their KPI, their key performance indicator, and understanding what you can do to maximize that for them. Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there's value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I am joined with Flynn Blackie, CEO and founder of Mod Digital, a highly valued lead generating agency. Today we learn from Flynn on how to become skilled at design and marketing, as well as how to build a portfolio and increase the value you provide to your clients. So you built MOD Digital. Um, so talk to me a bit about that and what it is, you know, why you created it and the purpose it serves today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly gone through a few evolutions um, since the styling article in particular. I think um, due to my lack of kind of posting as well, it got a little cloudy as to what it is that we actually do. Because I think some people still think, you know, it's a 16-year-old by himself making websites on his laptop which was great at the time. And I, I still enjoy, you know, that whole world, but we've really evolved now into a true results-based company with a particular system and, you know, key KPIs, you know, key performance indicators that we really need to live up to for our clients. And we work, you know, tirelessly on different, I would say almost we're a psychological marketing agency these days, Victor, because we work tirelessly to understand our clients' clients and look at what interests them, what's going to resonate with them, how we can actually get their clients to become their clients or, or their prospective clients to become their clients. So our clients aren't really our main priority. It's their customers because if, ultimately, if we are a marketing agency for our clients, we need to get people to join their business, become subscribers, become customers, and that's really the premise of what we do is getting into the minds of those prospects and figuring out what's going to resonate, building ads, building funnels, and building email sequences to turn them from stranger into a customer. So right now you would call Mod Digital a marketing agency. So is that what you started out as or what was it that you started out as? It was really, I really started out as a kind of freelance web designer with a little bit of branding behind me. Um, I didn't initially have the vision for, I had, I would say I had the kind of dream, but not the vision, right? I knew that we wanted to go into, you know, bigger and better things than just building websites as a kind of side hustle, but I didn't know 
to what extent that would look like. And it really came from trial and error, trying different things, finding out what we were good at, finding out what the market needed, right? What we were going to get paid for and evolving that way. Um, but yeah, we really started as a kind of design website design. We did a few different things in between getting to where we are now, like social media posts, stuff like that, creating content. But I found that that kind of content creation didn't really have tangible ROI, which is what clients want at the end of the day, right? You need to be able to say, this is what we did for you. This is how much we brought it back. That's how you're going to be able to keep a client for longer is by proving that their investment is bringing them back higher returns. This is really as simple as that. And it just became, you know, everything we do now is all with that in mind. That's how we can bring them better results, more money back for what, you know, they're spending whilst also keeping, you know, our costs and our overheads lower. So Flynn, I'm sure the guests have noticed um, you don't have a London accent. <laughs> yeah. so, um, you grew up in Scotland, um, Edinburgh to be specific. So um, what was it like growing up in Edinburgh? And do you believe where you grew up, there was sort of an entrepreneurial um, sort of community or what sort of spurred you into business or into design and marketing, shall I say, in the first place? It's a good question. Uh, and yeah, I don't have a London accent, but a lot of people from Edinburgh would probably say my, my Edinburgh accent's fading out as well. I've kind of got a bit of a, a neutral accent, especially after lockdown. Half the people I was talking to were all across the globe, so I had to make sure everyone could understand me. Um, in terms of the entrepreneurship stuff, I kind of got into it from you know gradual side hustling, right? your typical buying and selling chewing gum. That was the first thing I did. Um, buying and selling, you know, Yeezys, that kind of stuff, just doing the, you know, streetwear reselling, a lot of that. And then I was always on my laptop if I wasn't playing video games, right? So trying out different things on that, seeing what kind of captivated me. And I realized I was pretty good at web design. So I kind of took that a few steps further than a lot of the other things that I was trying out. Um, but when I reached the point of, generating clients and you know wanting to level it up there was not uh not nothing much in place that, that could really help me in my journey so i kind of went it alone um just kept kept working kept trying to generate clients didn't really spend a lot of time networking with people um, which is something i wish i kind of had done and then covid obviously hit so we were all locked down and that was when i really opened up my my networking because I got invested in LinkedIn, you know, got really into personal branding, connecting with people because I had a lot of time on our hands, didn't we all when, uh, when we were first shut in, there was nothing to do. And so my circle and the people that I learned entrepreneurship from, the people that I generated my value from weren't people, certainly wasn't the school, uh, wasn't things like the Prince's Trust. It was just from looking at people who inspired me or people who were doing things that I wanted to do. And finding them on LinkedIn and doing, as we said earlier, you know, that outreach, that connection um, and just starting conversations. Well, that sounds very similar to myself. So it sounds like you built from the ground up in a sense that you had some sort of interest or passion in web designing. You thought you could further this. Um, so instead of 
going to get, I don't know, startup capital. I'm sure that wasn't the route you took. You sort of just hustled your way to improving your craft, improving your skill and the value you provide to others. What age were you where you sort of created your first ever website or you designed your first ever website, should I say? And what was it for? Because I'm sure at this point, was it a client? Was it a friend? Was it a family? And um, did you think that that could sort of propel you further into what you've been doing so far? I had played with a few websites right before I made my first proper one, but none of them were really objective driven. They were all just kind of messing around. So I can't really recall off the top of my head what, what they really were. They, they wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have anything to show for it. But when I made my first actual website, I'd been playing, uh, I'd been playing Fortnite actually, uh, back in its peak or maybe it's, it's early peak anyway. And got bored eventually, but I was playing with a guy that cut my hair and came off that went on my laptop we're just playing around and I decided to make a website for his barbershop and it started looking really good started looking really good so I showed it to him he liked it a lot and so he paid me for it and that was when I really got a taste of what web design could how do, much right? did he pay for it uh not loads 100 150 pounds something like that and maybe a free haircut as well, which was pretty good considering they didn't ask for it, in fairness. Um, And how how much time would you say you spent on that website? That's a good question. It was a a while ago, so I can't really remember. But um, yeah, I couldn't give you a a a factual answer to that. I was just trying to work out your ROI. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Time investment. on the first one exactly because i think time is so important when especially myself i think you can attest to this as well when you've sort of got a lot of things you're doing time management is crucial and when i think about things such as you building out someone's website if they're only paying you a certain amount of money but you spent i don't know 50 hours doing it and you divide the hours by the amount that you spent i wondered whether that was really worth your time if that makes sense in terms of you know the the money per hour but you were building your first website you know sort of a barber barber shop so when did you pivot that into something much bigger such as let me create a whole website or a whole business or brand to do this potentially part-time potentially full-time yeah um on that topic of just on what you said there about the time ROI, I would say to even be paid a, a penny for your first website is a massive achievement um, or a massive boost, should I say, because a lot of people, when they start out their portfolios, I would even recommend doing stuff for free to show your capabilities and then get paid um, afterwards, which I guess in a sense I did because I, I didn't ask him for money for it. He paid, it, paid for it because he liked it. Um, but from a ROI perspective at the start, you know, I would also say don't just look at the hours you're investing now and what the client pays you. Look at what time you're investing now in building your portfolio and in one year or six months, the client that you then land because of that, how, how much you get paid for that, right? Rather than just taking on a per project basis, look at the kind of long-term uh, ROI that you're going to get from it. Whilst you're actually sort of building and thinking about the long term, you were still in school. You didn't further your education into university. I think you dropped out of school. So what age did you drop out of school and um, why did you make that decision? Yeah, I was 16 and I don't know, a few months, 16, maybe 16, four months, something like that. The reason why was because I knew for me, I knew that I wasn't going to go to university. I just had this feeling that it wasn't 
uh, I didn't want to spend an extra four, five years in that kind of education space. I was going to kind of leave and try either get into a job and learn the skills that I needed to start my own thing or because I was lucky enough, start something myself from the get go. And the only or the real question that made the decision easy for me was I could stay on and get the hires, the extra grades and then leave and do this, or I could leave now and get a year's head start, which is obviously what I did. And I definitely don't, don't regret doing that at all. I mean, you said that you were quite lucky. I want to break that down. What do you mean by lucky? Did you have some sort of financial backing from your parents before you dropped out? Did you save a certain amount of income before you dropped out? Or did you have already flowing income streams of like, were you risk averse? Um, What? Because I know that for some listeners or some people, they'll think, right, that's a massive risk. That is a massive, massive risk. There must be some sort of, I don't know, privileged parents or family or something that would, would make you know someone want to drop out and feel comfortable about it so I'm just wondering was that the case for yourself or did you sort of just take that plunge decision and had faith in yourself yeah that's a great question when I say lucky I really mean luck in the sense of I was lucky that one of the first things I tried really captivated me I enjoyed it and it was quite a demanding uh it had a decent demand in the market rather than the kind of security because because it was a big risk ditching you know hires is having just national fives isn't um which i think is gcse level in england isn't a great thing to fall back on compared to having hires right having like a higher mass something like that is is obviously better than um gcse level so leaving with just those is is a huge risk but i was lucky that i found something that i really liked and didn't need to wait an extra couple of years to to discover that before kind of leaving and not knowing what to do I was lucky that I knew what I wanted to do early because I, I didn't receive any um, investment from parents nothing I've, the only money in the business has all come from me and it's come from you know getting money from a client getting a deposit and obviously it's service-based and I was doing it all myself to begin with so I didn't really need to invest any money it was all just putting it to the side and then when we reached that higher level where I could predictably say how much I was going to make in a month or at least a kind of minimum that I was going to make, that was when I was able to start making better investments, start taking more risks, because I knew there was income that was going to come. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. And was there a specific level of income? Was there a threshold that was um, suitable for you or made you more comfortable in order to take that decision? Not really. Um, There wasn't like a limit or or a goal I'd set. It was just kind of a natural feeling like, we're charging more for for per website and stuff like that. So it was also when I decided to change the service offering a little bit and was getting those monthly retainers um, that I was able to say, okay, this is taking a lot of my time and I know that someone else could do it better than me. We're making this, I'll hire someone who can replace me to do that. And that's kind of still the way that we operate, although it's now just adding more value to the client as opposed to I'm doing the work and I need someone else to do it because now I'm in a good position where I don't have to do a lot of the boots on the ground work, but more coordinate it. Um, and then I get to do the other stuff, which is finding new clients and jumping on podcasts and stuff like that. No, you've been very successful in building more digital. And before we actually talk about how you built that, how you built a team and what monthly retainers are, something that stuck out to me was that you sort of knew 
what you wanted to do from a young age. So my question to you is, where did that come from? I'm sure it didn't just appear in thin air. Like, were you always creative when you were young? Did you like to, I don't know, draw with crayons? Like, what what sort of sparked that creativity, that passion, that interest in design and marketing? Um, I, I want to know where where did it come from? It's interesting, actually. Art was one of my least favorite subjects. I hated painting, hated drawing, just found it super, not super boring, right? Because drawing a picture is a bit more fun than like sitting working out sums, well, to most people anyway. But I wasn't an arty person. And that was what kind of a limiting belief at the beginning was I can't make websites because I'm not an arty person. But I think there's so many different forms of creativity, so many different forms of art. I think even like video creation, photography, they're all a form of art in their own way. Um, and web design was was the one for me. Just just again, from trying loads of different things, that was how I found it. Um, and being someone who, yeah, as I say, I always played video games if I wasn't uh, you know, at school with mates or playing football, something like that. I was heavily invested. Even since a super young age, I still got my original Nintendo, the PSP, uh, Xbox 360, all of those. So I went through the motions and just always been pretty good on a computer. And I knew that whatever I was going to do, uh, even from like just starting secondary school, just starting high school, I knew that no matter what it was I was going to do, it was going to be something uh, with a screen in front of me. For sure. And I actually second that. So I pl- I grew up playing a lot of um, video games from PS2 to Xbox 360, PS3, PS4. Unfortunately, I stopped. I don't have a PS5. But um, <laughs> I actually believe there's a, there's a link to playing console games and creativity. And currently at university, I took a module called Entrepreneurship. And I'm sure we can get into that later. But... There was actually an article that was written by um, someone who found a correlation to, between video games and creativity. And we won't discuss it now, but if you subscribe to the mailing list, I'll link the article there so you can have a read. But he had some really interesting insights into how, you know, things such as playing games can actually improve your thinking and your creative thinking in the entrepreneurship process. So you have so many um, different sort of accolades you've worked with, so many different clients. And when we talk about clients, just to make things clear, we mean like companies or could you describe when you say clients, what are clients, um, what type of companies or even organizations you've worked with in the past? Absolutely. I I would say usually it's either uh, an expert in their field. If I'm working with an individual, I'll be working with an expert and helping them to sell their knowledge. So online courses, coaching, that kind of things, those are people that kind of make up a decent amount of the volume. And then on the other side, on the flip side of that, I would say we work with companies with, you know, slightly bigger teams, not individuals, but people with a a similar kind of niche or something that they're, they're, they're an expert. And I would say a lot of our clients are, they're either going to break their, their, their market and be the top dogs or they already are right a lot of the people we work with are very passionate and i think i've been lucky through a lot of the clients coming from reading about me that the people that i kind of attract as clients are people who have similar values and people who have the similar passion and i can really see it when we work together we have great collaborations because they want to be the best at what they do and we want to be the best at what we do and so when we work together you know we just go crazy we we work above and beyond we do things that you know aren't necessarily contracted but that's because we both have this mutual understanding that we're really not just trying to provide a service and tick a box here we both 
want their company to be the best in their industry because they look great on our portfolio, right? We want people who are top dogs, recognize names um, and getting in early doors, which is something we often do. We work with people who are just starting out. They have their concept. They've got a few clients and then we help them scale. And there's a few great examples that we've got. Um, I'm not sure I can say them yet. I can't remember if we've got con- the contract as NDA uh, parts in it, but we've got a few that are really starting to become titans in their industry and it's uh, a pleasure to work with them. You kind of already touched on the next question I was going to ask about. You work with experts only. I think that's such um, a needed thing, which is crucial. But for somebody building out, for somebody starting off building their portfolio, do you recommend they work with experts? Do you recommend they go out and literally first client let's get expert in their field no matter what the cost or do you recommend they start to do work for friends or family or because i've i've often seen that people who start out who are content creators social media marketers or sort of designing something whether it's web design and app design or or flyers for somebody they start off with a client that's or an individual should i say that's has a muddled vision about what they want to do. They're just testing things out, et cetera. Do you recommend that's a great place to start for someone who's building a portfolio or do you think go straight for the experts? For someone who's starting out trying to build a portfolio, I would say one of the easiest people to build your portfolio with is traditional businesses or people who've been there a long time. So they've got a good reputation you know, they're quite a sturdy company, but they, they haven't kind of moved or evolved into the kind of new era, which is not even the new era anymore. It's like, it's nearly, we're nearly past that needing a website phase. But, um, you know, going to someone who hasn't updated their site in a long time or doesn't have uh, a website at all at helping them transition into, into that, that's a good way to build your portfolio. But I would say when you're really confident in the work that you can do, the best people to work with are visionaries, experts, and people who, you know, you can really bounce off rather than just having to, you know, have no communication with them, that kind of thing. You don't want them to be filling up your phone with messages and phone calls, but at the same time, you want to be able to have that level of collaboration um, where they're open to your ideas and they aren't just like, no, 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 do that, do that. Um, Just finding that balance between the two. Yes, that's that's very interesting, actually, um, working with traditional businesses to start off with, because honestly, I've seen some companies or organizations and I look at their website and I, I literally ask myself, how do they still <laughs> and they bring in revenue? Like, how yeah, do they yeah. still have clients? Because they must have some sort of process or system which their their product or their service is good enough to still bring in clients and clients don't really you know, care that their website's a bit outdated and I think you know that's a great place to start but what would you recommend we have somebody who's first client on the portfolio traditional company how do they approach email website call find the CEO what do they do all of the above <laughs> until one of them works probably start with email because that's the easiest um, then I'd probably or simultaneously I'd connect on LinkedIn say say I've just sent you an email um, something like that. And then I would phone again if they didn't answer. But the more ways that you try and reach out to someone, the more they're going to sh- see that, first of all, you're not spamming them or you're not a spammer. Like you're not, you're not just doing it to everybody. You're, you're going for them, uh, specifically. So the more touch points you can connect with them on, the, the more you show that you have that active interest and that you are looking for them. You're talking to them directly 
and you show that you're thorough with what you do as well, right? If you if you reach them on LinkedIn, Instagram, you email them, and you even find their phone number and give them a call. Uh, if they don't answer any of the the previous ones, then you know straight away you're you're showing that you're thorough at what you do, and that sets a good standard for the work that you're going to do for them as well. Absolutely, that's good. And talking about being thorough and talking about different touch points, I read an article um, about someone who wrote an article about yourself, Flynn Blackie, but you got them to write the article. So um, <laughs> when I read it, I was sort of mind blown. So we're, <laughs> we're talking about emailing. You emailed somebody telling them why they should write an article about yourselves. And they wrote that article and they showed your email in the article. For somebody, for an organization, a company or individual who is very busy, they look at their email inboxes. They don't really open emails because they get tons and tons of emails of the same content or the same wishes or requests all the time. How do you get somebody to do that? How how do you compel them to action or convince them to do something that you want them to do? The first thing I would look at is, is what's in it for them, right? Because I'm nine times out of 10 going to do something for someone if there's benefit in it for me. So that's what you want to look at first, right? You want to look at what, what you can give them in return or why they should do it. It's the most important part. Although you're not going to go straight in with that, because it's a bit spammy again, that's what you should have back of mind because that's what's most important to them. If someone told me to do something for them or asked me to do something, unless they had, you know, unless there was a good reason other than um, something being in it for me, then you, you probably wouldn't do it, right? If someone just randomly asked you to do something for them um, and you didn't know them, why would you? But knowing what they want, or what they might want or what might be in it for them and putting that head of what's in it for you is the most important part. Now, the second thing you want to do again is be personal, be thorough and do your research on the person and actually care about what they want. So, or actually care about them themselves. So in that email, when, if you read it and you can link this in your, your newsletter as well, the first thing I did was I, I commented on a couple of the pieces that he'd read because I actually wanted this guy to write about me. I didn't just find a bunch of random people and start reaching out with a generic message. I read this guy's work and I was like, wow, this guy is who I want to write about me. So I, I, I you know, broke down what I liked about his articles, why I thought we'd be a good fit for each other, talked a bit about myself, a bit about the stories that he could write about, um, and used that, used his name in the subject line and stuff so that he knew that it was personal to him but again victor the most important part is understanding that people you know there, there should be something that you're given value right you should give value to them or there should be something in it for them even if you're not giving the direct value which for him was the article ended up being a massive success it ended up being one of the i think the top 10 on that publication maybe for the year and a ton of likes and, and, and a ton of views. So he would have got, um, I don't know quite how that works out, but I'm sure he would have been paid nicely by um, the company itself or got people signing up to his newsletter. So putting that ahead of everything else, what's in it for them, and then showing them that you care, you're reaching out to them personally. And then the, the kind of least important part, but s still necessary is talking about yourself and why you're a good match for them as well.
No, that's that's really, really good. And just talking about the value you provide, I think I can just tell from your voice, your tone, um, you're really passionate about providing value to others. And you know, this is a valuable podcast where we talk about all things value and we want to give value to the guests. But how did you sort of increase the value you provide to clients in terms of working with them, um, in terms of design, marketing or emails? And um on top of that question, I would just want to bring it back to Mod Digital because like you said, it's a marketing agency, but what do you specifically specialize in and and how did you yeah, how did you get good at it? During that period that we talked about earlier of trying a lot of different things uh after I'd started it, right? So when we when we did start doing websites and then we started looking at the social media stuff, one of the things I found was bringing back a lot of results was um ads, paid ads. And I also noticed that when we were just building websites, people weren't really capitalizing them on them. So it was just like a extra bit of information for someone who was already searching for them, but they weren't really doing much else with their website. So I looked at how we could bring traffic and how we could convert that traffic into customers. Cause that's what everyone wants out of any marketing activity. They want new customers and, and, and obviously revenue as a result of that. So what we do now we have a pretty much a three-step system of we create adverts, particularly um, on Facebook and Instagram, but also you know on YouTube stuff like that as well, uh, and hopefully TikTok soon. We're, we're looking into that a bit deeper. Um, we create adverts which are designed to resonate with the customers' customers, so the things that they care about. Um, it's, it's all similar to the email stuff, although one's a direct approach and one's completely different we have the same principles throughout, or at least I do in the sense that you got to look at what's in it for them or what they care about. And we feed that as part of our advertisement as, you know, what they care about, capture their attention with that. And then we send them to the website funnel, which we also built. Uh, and the funnel's just basically um, website pages that you don't really see. They're like landing pages, a series of landing pages, which you don't really see them if you go on the main website, but if you click on an advert, that's probably what you're landing on. Hence, hence landing pages. So we build that kind of funnel perspective for them as well and try and drive action. Now, what we might do is lead capture um, where we get them to sign up for like a free ebook or something and then we p- push them down further and then try and get them to either schedule a call or you know buy directly uh, after watching a webinar or something like that. And then if they don't do that immediately, we also have email sequences. There's obviously a lot of manual work involved to set that up. But the idea is that we're building an automated system so the client isn't having to do outreach, cold calling, cold emails, LinkedIn. It's a time-consuming thing, especially as you scale and you've got a lot of other priorities after you've generated your first few clients. You've then got to service them. So that's really what we do is help businesses have a predictable system for generating new customers. Okay, so from my understanding, Mod Digital is an phenomenal marketing agency where you build a system you build a process for customers in order to basically advertise whatever product or service that they're selling in order to generate revenue through obviously clients purchasing their products and you actually don't just end there you continue to service them continue to see where they can increase their value and you try to capture that exactly very well summed up victor where did you learn about marketing because it didn't come to you from thin air. So of course you, you said something that I sort of picked up on. You said you looked into this thing. So when you say you looked into it, 
Was it a YouTube? Did you take a course? Did you read a book? Did you ask a friend? Did you have a mentor or coach? How did you come to be knowledgeable in this specific area? It's a great question. And one that hopefully the, the listeners can, can learn from as well is you'll see um, behind me, cause we've got video on, there's a ton of books. The shelf goes a lot higher than that. Books are a great place to start. Um, nobody, there's a very small percentage of people that read books. And I would say that small percentage end up having a ton more knowledge than the people that don't, because it's, it's literally people compiling the best knowledge that they've found throughout their life and their particular expertise. And they compile it into what 400 pages for you to read about and learn from. I would say books were very, very key in, in that process courses as well. There's a ton of courses you can find online. YouTube videos are, are phenomenal. The internet is the database of, of everything, right? So there's no excuse for not being able to find information on what you want. In my opinion, everything that's, that could possibly be out there is there. Courses are expensive sometimes, but you can find everything that's in a course by going to different places. People with a lot of people with online courses have books as well. And if you read the book, which is obviously a fraction of the price of the course, they're usually the same material, just kind of rephrased or written in a written form. So there's an abundance of information out there. You can learn anything you want, really. Yes, I very much agree with you. But however, Flynn, you've been very vague there. This is the valuable podcast where we deliver <laughs> valuable information. List some specific courses, YouTube channels, books what have you specifically read like what is it what made you come to this position or place you are now where you can service you know multiple clients what was that one profound um, information that had an impact on you you know I would say it's less of marketing books that have been key pillars for me right to begin with I was watching videos um, on how to you know do this specific thing on a website how to add this element how to change the color of this, what line of code is needed to make this happen. But that's not what was super important. What was super important was understanding how to manage people, how to, you know, create influence, how to influence people to do stuff and, you know, how to make them want to do it, how to make them inspired. That was what, that knowledge has been, you know, far more important to me than any of the kind of marketing knowledge or how to do this on Facebook ads or something like that. Because ultimately I knew that if I wanted to scale, I couldn't have all the knowledge and try and do everything myself. I don't have the time in the day. So what was more important was learning how to find great people, learning how to guide great people, and then bringing everyone together to, to drive towards one clear vision and clear objective. I've heard the counter arguments such as authors have, they just pad books with information just so it looks a bit bigger so just so they can sell but nowadays with podcasts with bite-sized how-to videos you know you get the information straight away you don't have to go to chapter seven just to read two pages then you have three lines of what you actually needed so it was quite interesting to talk about you know you actually looked at specific videos in order to progress in whatever you were doing then you talked about building a team and scaling so with more digital um how many people do you work with? Are they part-time employees? Are they full-time employees? Are they freelancers? And how do you go about actually getting a team together to advance the vision that you may have? Yeah, absolutely. At point of recording, there's six of us on a kind of consistent basis. 
And then we may bring in additional freelancers once in a while to to help with specific elements. If we're overloaded, we might you know bring in an extra graphics person, something like that. But I like having a smaller team who are experts at what they do because that's that's really important. Something really important to me is not finding jack of all trades and asking them to do this, 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 and this in you know six different fields in part in part of a campaign. What's more important to me is getting six different people and having them do one individual thing that form the bigger part of the puzzle, right? So finding absolute experts at what they do. And then my job is really to unify everything and and turn it into something tangible for, for the people that we work with. And how many clients do you have or how much people do you work with? Or I should say current and also in the past. It's hard to say because we have clients that we'll do a project for like a one-off project and then we've got retainer clients as well. Uh, honestly, I don't know off the top of my head how many we're working with, but this month's uh, certainly busy. We've got two launches, two two new client launches uh, for their campaigns today. Um, another on and another two launching on the first of first of january so a busy run-up in in this christmas period but um it's exciting it's i I much prefer to be busy and overloaded because it's easier to bring people in to help you when you're overloaded than it is to attract new people when you're underloaded if that makes sense because you don't attend university or work a nine to five for mm-hmm. an organization, how do you manage your time then running a yeah. business? It's interesting. A lot of people think that it's, um, you know, entrepreneurship is not the glamorous lifestyle of working two hours a day uh, at all. It's, you probably work just as much as someone in a nine to five or more. You just get to pick what hours you do that. Your nine to five might be. 11 till 7 that kind of thing um for me i'm definitely not one of those um stereotypical or i don't know if you would say stereotypical but the kind of trendy wake up at 6 a.m and go for a two like a a one hour run i'm i'm a late riser and i work late but i'm most productive when it's late um and that's what works for me. So that's why I do it. I have a list. That I'm very strict with my list. I have a list of everything I have to do, due dates on every single item, estimated time that it's going to take, and also a priority list if they're due on the same day, what's most important. Uh, and just being very diligent and sticking to that list is is what helps me to manage my time. I remember speaking at um, one event and they asked me, how do I manage my time? And I told them that I map out my entire life on Google Calendar, for example, right now my Google Calendar will say podcast recording with Flynn, and after that, I'll probably say something else. But what do you use? Like, do you have any systems that you specifically use to do your to do lists or to manage your time? Yeah, I use ClickUp. Um, it's similar to Monday.com if you've not heard of ClickUp, but I think ClickUp are now kind of overtaking Monday. Um, it's just a simple project management software, but it works well. It's got a lot of integrations, so it's nice. I can, we also have our team management stuff on there as well. And then Google Drive for, for files and stuff. It all plays in nicely together. And and you manage your time well, and well enough to come down to London. I think I saw you at the Great British Entrepreneurs Award event. 
Um, so talk to me a bit about that and um, how you got nominated for an award. What award was it and what was your experience like? Yeah, uh, certainly I was working on the train down there and working on the train back home. But London, yeah, the, the event was brilliant. Um, that's twice actually I've been nominated for Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Fortunately, haven't won. First year I kind of didn't expect to because it was, you know, and still is a massive blessing just to be nominated. But um, within the first, I think, 15 months of having the business, uh, I was nominated for young entrepreneur shortlisted as a finalist and then the second year I was more optimistic about winning but I think hopefully third time will be the charm um we'll see what happens we'll see what happens third time lucky no um I mean that that's you can sort of label that as failure one could say that you know second time you didn't win but um how how did you deal with that like what sort of emotions was going through your head how do you sort of bounce back from rejection I guess um, especially where you've worked hard like you said you're a bit optimistic um how do you deal with that yeah I was optimistic but look I wasn't um I wasn't really disappointed it kind of just motivated me to you know try harder and strive to get it next year just do everything I can to to level up the business and get it somewhere that's uh winner ready um, but being in a room with all the people that were at that, uh, you know, event is, is a good enough prize in itself. It's you're full of some of the best minds in the country. Um, some really intelligent and really inspiring people. So I still had a massive smile on my face, even, even after I didn't win it. Yes. I saw a picture with, um, you and Stephen Bartlett, um, amazing, amazing podcaster to be honest he was one of the people who inspired me to even start my own podcast and um, he has great guests did you manage to have a conversation with him or or anyone else um that sort of inspired you or left you with um, wisdom or valuable insights information you can you can give us right yeah now? i did I, I spoke to Stephen. um it's funny he speaks exactly the way um he tweets he's very wise um he's a very wise guy a lot of knowledge i actually recorded it I've not posted it yet, so any listeners can can follow me. Probably Instagram or LinkedIn is the best place, but I'll be posting posting the conversation that we had on there. Absolutely. I would actually be following and I'm waiting for that to to drop. But Flynn, I think we've had a great conversation. Um honestly, I thank you so much for joining me today. Um you are you are very inspirational. Um, I think some of the work you've done, we've not even covered everything. Um, but before I drop off and sort of close this podcast, should I say, I just wanted to ask you if there was someone who was listening and they are, were in your shoes before you started, they wanted to build a portfolio they wanted to increase the value they provide to clients in terms of digital marketing, in terms of their skills, their value. What is the one thing that you recommend they do? I would recommend that they focus a lot of time and energy into understanding what yields the best results for the people that they're working with, right? If you're working with someone who, I don't know, if you're working with a TikTok or a YouTuber, and you're servicing them with video editing or something like that. Look at what brings them the most views, right? Look at that end result. That's that's the most important part to everyone is looking at their KPI, their key performance indicator, and understanding what you can do to maximize that for them. 
So Flynn, what are you working on next and what could we look forward to in 2022? Uh, 2022, what everyone can look forward to, I think, is the evolution of, you know, more crypto, more blockchain related technology. I'd be very excited to see how, and I'm, I'm already kind of analyzing the the market and the horizon um, for opportunities for us working with kind of crypto related clients and blockchain and NFTs, all of that. I think that's fascinating uh, and I'm very excited to see where that goes next year. So that's something we're we're very we're very actively interested in. So if any listeners are I've got projects related to that, definitely give me a note. And where can they find you and support you? The best place probably to to get in touch with me is LinkedIn. Um but for for kind of following along with more of our journey and more of what we're doing and consuming some content, I think Instagram is probably the best place to find me. And you can find me there at FLXNN. Thank you so much, Flynn. I'll make sure to drop your other social media handles in the bio. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media at Valuable Podcasts. Last but not least, for exclusive detailed content, sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.valuablepodcast.com. Remember, increase the value you provide and you'll rise in due time.